Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. All right. Hello, everyone. Good evening and welcome to Finsider Radio. My name is Keith. We're on the air until 10.30 p.m. Eastern tonight. Uh, we have a special program for you. It's Combine Week, so we have plenty to discuss regarding what has already taken place in Indy as well as what lies ahead. Uh, so at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, we'll check in with Tex Western of Acme Packing Company, which is uh, SB Nation's Green Bay Packers site. Tex is in Indianapolis for the Combine, so look at his thoughts on what he's seen there the past days. Not a ton going on yet, but uh, at least something to talk about. Uh, hopefully, he's got some inside info for us. Uh, we'll check in with frequent show visitor uh, Max Himmlerich. He's actually with us right now. He's with the Finsider, and he's also deep end Miami. Uh, we actually chatted today about different scenarios regarding the first round of the draft. Uh, it's always fun to talk football with Max. And then last but not least, and if we're fortunate, <clears throat> the Finsider's Matthew Kanata will grace us with his presence and talk about Olivier Vernon, Lamar Miller, April's draft, whatever he wants to talk about if he calls in. I'm I give it 50-50. Uh, as <laughs> always, my my panel of co-hosts, uh, as always, Lewis, how are you doing tonight? Doing all right. We'll hear from Duke shortly. Uh, I already mentioned that Max is, is already with us. He's become a, a frequent contributor to the show. What's up? How's it going? It's okay. I can't complain. Uh, it is Combine Week. It's, it's exciting, ex- except that we really haven't had much to talk about, unless you're interested in... Uh, arm lengths, hand measurements, weights, which, I mean, that kind of stuff does interest me to to a degree, but not really much to sink your teeth into in terms of what's going on in Indianapolis right now. Uh, that'll change shortly, the offensive line, and uh, we'll get into their, their drills. We'll touch upon that a little bit when we talk to the text, but the big story right now for the Dolphins uh, to coincide with the Combine is uh, what came out today, which is the Olivier Vernon development with his franchise tag and it went from are they going to sign him long term are they going to franchise him are they going to release him then it kind of turned to well it's looking like they're going to release him maybe they'll franchise tag him now we're hearing that if they franchise tag him they're going to look to trade him as a result so this Olivier Vernon deal has has done several about faces through the past just the past week to the point where people are like, he's gone, he's staying, we don't know. Now it sounds like he's going to go, but at least the Dolphins are going to try to get something for him. What would you guys do with Olivier Vernon if you're the Dolphins front office right now? Do you Because it's awfully hard to pull off a franchise uh, tag and trade. You just don't see that that often. I mean, you, a lot 
several conditions have to be in your favor. The stars pretty much have to align for, for that to happen in today's NFL. So would you, would you pursue it? Is that too ballsy? What would you guys do? Well, it doesn't really make in this case too much sense to rely on that because if a team wanted him, they would just let him hit free agency. I mean, we're not talking about something like that could happen with a player at the caliber of, let's say like a Von Miller or someone who is so good that a team is willing to just give up kind of whatever it takes. But Olivier Vernon isn't that type of player. He's kind of an upside free agency signing. I mean, I think we all know he hasn't reached his, his greatest potential. And so we're kind of waiting for that moment with him. And it just so happens that four years in, we're still waiting. So that's almost for some players. That's a good thing for some players because they're going to pay him for the upside. Some team is going to pay, whether it's the Miami Dolphins or anyone else, there talks about the Jacksonville Jaguars as a team who literally has to burn cap space, otherwise they won't be at the spending threshold. There are teams like the Falcons. Anyone who really needs a pass rush is going to take a look at Olivier Vernon. And um, he's benefiting from a weak free agent class. And... It's going, to be, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens, but I don't think he's the caliber of player. I don't think he's the caliber of player that gets the franchise tag and trade treatment. What do you think, Lewis? I don't think the Dolphins should do that franchise tag and trade kind of idea either because, I mean, if you're looking at it, Olivier Vernon, like, first of all, I don't even want to give him the franchise tag, period, because just thinking about it, he's going to wind up getting $15.4 million or something like that up for one year that we don't even know. And if if he does turn out to be this um, awesome guy, then we're going to have to pay him even more money than we were going to normally. So that already doesn't fill me with the warm fuzzies. We still have Ndamukong Sue. I guess we're assuming that Cameron Wake will be coming cheap if we're going to do this kind of a deal. Because if you have – there's only so much money to go around, and you can't always depend on the whole idea of – well, the uh, the salary cap's going to go up like another $10 million every single year. Like it, We can't rely on that. Olivier Vernon is going to command a lot, a lot of money. And add that to Ndamukong Sue, and I guess we're ho- – uh, you have to look into what's going to be going on in the future. I still don't think 2016 is a, a year where we can say, yeah, we're going to work towards actually competing this year. It has – 2016 is a rebuilding year. I know nobody likes to hear that, but that's really what it is. So to treat it this way, we have. I would go through the draft to find the new pass rusher. I'm really starting to warm up to the idea of drafting DeForest Buckner or somebody along those lines because if right now Olivier Vernon is just out of our price range, let some team sign him for a bazillion dollars like the Jaguars or the Raiders. They have the most cap space, over $70 million in cap space. Like That's an insane amount of money. So just let them just let them do that and let Olivier Vernon walk. I just I want to make sure that we keep our offensive weapon, Lamar Miller, and we can hopefully find a new guy to take over Olivier Vernon's spot next to Cameron Wake. And then for that year only, we can work on moving on and getting another guy. It's not outside the realm of possibility that these guys draft a pass rusher early and that guy becomes better than Olivier Vernon. I mean, Olivier Vernon's a good player, but he's not impossible to replace if you're able to bring in the right guy and you're bringing in the right guy at an absolute fraction of the cost. So, I mean, that's the goal if you're the Dolphins. And I didn't mean to cut you off, Max. Uh, I also want to uh, uh, welcome Duke to the show. Uh, Yeah, 
Uh, he mentioned that it says out there that the show starts at 8.30. It obviously does not. We're already seven minutes in. Our guess is at 8.30. So those reading into it, I will be clearer next time, I guess. But, Duke, what's going on? Not a whole lot. Uh, before um, we, we go ahead and get a little bit more into the draft, what would you do with Olivier Vernon? Uh, and ideally, you'd like to re-sign him. Uh, and you want to re-sign him at your cost. If, that's, if he's not at your cost, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm still kind of, is he a complimentary pass rusher? Or is he a guy that you can build your pass rusher, pass rush around? I'm not really sure how that how he is with that. Um, I mean, you, you like to draft guys and develop them and re-sign them, but uh, I'm just not sure on him. I mean, I don't know. I personally right. don't feel like I don't think Olivier Vernon's going to be worth that kind of a uh, that uh, that kind of a deal. I still don't think that like he has the sacks, he has he has all the pressures in the world, but. If you can't finish the job, then it doesn't really do much. And in, in today's day and age, quarterbacks are judged based on how well they do despite having all these factors going against them. That's why Ryan Tannehill gets so much crap is that, oh, well, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't have all this help, but he shouldn't need it. That kind of a mentality is ruining quarterbacks, but I digress. That's how they're judged. So if a quarterback can get away with dealing with pressure, if they have offensive linemen who can like bail them out of trouble, then what's Olivier Vernon going to do? Unless he can finish the job, he just isn't worth that that kind of a deal. That's elite kind of money. That's somewhere along the lines of what Mario Williams and J.J. Uh, Watt make. I want to point out something real quick. I think uh, – I actually just thought it was a caller coming in. I actually think it's Matt from Connecticut. I'm floored. Yeah, Matt doesn't yeah, show Matt. up for our shows. I was hoping you guys want to figure that out. Well, I, <laughs> it took, you have to understand that. Uh, typically when I have people calling in, if I don't have a producer, if I don't have like James who used to like label all the callers for me and tell me not only their name, but what they, what they wanted to talk about. It's, it's something where now I have to go between and do it all myself. So that one's, but, but I know that I know that I know the budget's tight over there. So I completely understand. Yeah. I mentioned yesterday that Kevin pays us all in Chipotle coupons, which I mean, you could do worse, honestly, as long as, as long as you avoid the the restaurants that give out the salmonella, you're okay. So, what's going <laughs> plenty, on? Plenty, plenty. Not much. This is my first time calling in, right? Yeah. Well, as far as far you as know, I can I just, tell, I just finished my uh, chicken cedar salad, have my caramel shot coffee in my hands and Dunkin' Donuts, and I'm ready to go. I got Are about you... maybe like 15, 20 minutes before my one and a half year old daughter comes running in with her, you know, diaper flinging in the air and. Me having to run around and chase her, but um, heard Thanks you guys for talking the about Olivia. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, heard you guys talking about Olivia Vernon. That's a little hot topic right now going on. And I was actually thinking on my on my drive home tonight. You know, what should the Dolphins do? Is he worth twelve to fifteen million dollars per year? The uh, the inside information that's coming out, as I've, I've mentioned and others have mentioned, Max uh, Himmelrich. I think that's how you say his last name. Um, you got it. <laughs> also mentioned that uh, the Dolphins are looking at a defensive line in the first round of the draft, and that rumor is not going away. It just keeps getting stronger and stronger. I've confirmed it with two separate sources um, independently of each other. And, you know, as we get towards closer to the draft, more uh, draft pundits now are actually talking about the Dolphins possibly going 
towards the defensive line. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they attack this. And it's not like, you know, there's just one or two defensive linemen. Everyone says Joey Bosa because that's the popular popular name. But there are uh, three to four others that are very worthy of a top ten pick. And then you also need to look at, um, I'm not really sure how to say his last name, the Kendiche from Ole Miss. Um, Kem Diche, yeah. Kem Diche, yeah. His his off-field problems are obviously a concern, but the Dolphins are very interested in him. Um, they are doing their research on him. They're trying to figure out how much he loves the game of football. But let's face it, if it wasn't for his off-field issues, this guy would probably be a top-five pick. There is yeah. really not a single weakness in his game. And and that's why the Dolphins are interested in him. It's, you know, Vance Joseph is really known around league circles to be able to relate to his players like none other. So if they're taking a chance on this guy, they're putting their faith that Vance Joseph can communicate with him and, and you know, bring out his full potential. There's other guys out there that they can very easily get with their picks, getting pat where they are. They can also trade down if they want to as well. They can get a cornerback in the second round. I know everyone's talking about cornerback, 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 and everyone's talking about Miles Jack and um, Jalen Smith in the first round. But the reality is, Vance Joseph's philosophy is pass rushers and cornerbacks, and that's where the foundation is set. And if you look around the league, you know, that's really where the foundation is set, too. Yeah, you need solid linebackers, um, but you really need those pass rushers and cornerbacks. And the Dolphins, a lot of the Dolphins are just saying draft a cornerback and rival. And, yeah, there might be some good players there, the Dolphins pick at number eight. But there's also, you know, a lot of talent in the second round. The Dolphins can pick two with the cornerbacks. So that's why, you know, the defensive line actually kind of makes sense. Earl Mitchell... Um, rumors are swirling that he is going to be gone. I talked to somebody today who's familiar with the Dolphins' plans, and he said that Earl Mitchell is more than likely going to be cut. Jordan Phillips, I've talked to two different people close to the Dolphins with this. One believes that Jordan Phillips is ready to play at an NFL level. The other believes that uh, he's not ready to play at an NFL level. That's the feeling within the Dolphins' headquarters right now as well. There's a mixed opinion on him. Some some in the building think he's ready to go. Some in the building think, you know, he needs to really turn it around and improve going into his second year. So that's where the Dolphins are looking. I'm sorry, what was that? I, I just heard some, I think that was some some feedback or some back noise. I have a choking on a pretzel or something. I don't know. Uh, well, hopefully someone's sorry, able to. Sorry, it, if I'm, sorry if I'm rambling, but I, I think this information is a little important. Um, so that's why the Dolphins are looking at defensive tackle in the free agency market. Brandon Thompson was a name that popped up today from the Cincinnati Bengals. This dude has not gotten the uh, praise he has, uh, deserves, but that's because the Bengals defensive line is stacked. This guy um, can play all three down stuff for him. He got double teams a ton last year and still broke through those double teams to make an impact. And, you know, if you put him and Sue together on that line with Jordan Phillips in the third guy's rotation, and then you had a defensive end, you know, whether it's Bruce Irvin and they move him to defensive end or they pick one in the draft, it's going to be very interesting to see how the Dolphins structure their defense moving forward because this will be a huge emphasis for them. They will probably fill one guard spot, whether it's in free agency. I'm thinking it's going to be free agency where they fill that one guard spot. they got to mm-hmm. fix their running back situation, and the rest of the focus will be on the defense. I've got a couple of questions for you. Uh, well, yeah, well first, I, I want to go ahead and, and give you props. I mentioned this uh, on Twitter earlier. You took uh, a ton of heat for mentioning that Kalichi uh, Osemele was going mm-hmm. to likely not only get left tackle money, but play yeah. left tackle in his second contract. Right. Now we're I got to back to that on that. 
Yeah, yeah, you definitely like I watched watched some of that, and I think I chimed in too. But I was like, I was like, unless you guys are privy to the Ravens' discussion with this guy, absolutely no right. right uh, really stepping up like this, and it comes out today. That's exactly the conversation that Ozzie Newsom is having with Colegio Semele. That I mean, regardless of what happens, they're looking to bring that guy back uh, as a left tackle, not as a left guard. Mm-hmm. And make him the second highest paid offensive player on the team behind the quarterback. So I'm mean, saying quite a lot. Too, you yeah. Know? So when I said when I said that I think two weeks ago or last week I think it was, uh, yeah I put out the column last week about you know different cap cuts the Dolphins can make and I mentioned you know signing signing him, and cutting Brandon Albert and people attacked me and said that he's not going to play left tackle and I and I said point blank, if he's not playing left tackle for the Ravens he's going to be playing left tackle for somebody else because that's where he wants to go, and it. If the price is going to go high and he's going to get left tackle money because he's going to seek that from the Ravens. And if he doesn't get that from them, he's going to go somewhere else. And it looks like the Ravens are going to keep him and move him to left tackle and cut Eugene Monroe, who ironically was in a discussion with Brandon Albert when the Dolphins were, you know, looking at free agent left tackles. I personally wanted Monroe because I liked his injury, you know, history a little better than Albert's. But ironically, Monroe is the one that's hurt right now and Albert's the one that's, you know, on the path to recovery and fully healthy. Monroe's a good player. I liked him. Uh, I thought that he, he did good things in Jacksonville. Uh, kind yeah. of an under, underrated guy in that 2009 class. There was so much noise with, you know, Andre Smith and all those those players at the top who ended up being complete busts. One of them was Jason Smith out of Baylor. He went to St. Louis. He was an absolute disaster. Uh, and you just look at, at that draft as a whole, Eugene Monroe was one of the better players at, at the top of that first round. And that was where you know, people can understand Michael Crabtree falling. And now in mm-hmm. in hindsight, we, we see that and we kind of get it. The other thing I wanted to ask you, because you mentioned the defensive line uh, being a, a focal point for the Dolphins in this draft. Uh, just, I mean, the feeling that you get, if they were making the pick at number eight, who do you think the pass rusher they'd like to target? Because, I mean, there's a lot of guys mm-hmm. in this draft that, that fit different molds. Yeah, that's a tough one. And another guy... Um, that I wanted to mention before was Noah Spence, who the Dolphins are also looking at. So, you know, a lot of people are saying Joey Bosa, and I know the Dolphins are interested in him. Um, But the the fact is, is he going to fall that far to eight? And some are talking now that, you know, he may indeed um, fall that far to number eight. And if he does, will the Dolphins take him there? I think if Boza is on the board, he will obviously be in serious play mm-hmm. for the Dolphins. You got other guys up there, and some are talking about um, DeForest Buckner, the defensive end from Oregon. Yeah, some are talking about him right now, as he might be the first defensive player drafted above guys like Jalen Smith and Miles Jack, and, and even Jalen Ramsey, who the opinion is a little mixed on, but everyone. Uh, has come to the conclusion that, yeah, that guy's the top five pick. But if people are talking about Buckner right now as a top three, top five pick, you know, he played at Oregon. He, he can play, you know, the 4-3 and a 3-4 defense. Last year he had over 70 tackles, uh, something like nine and a half sacks, I think, nine or ten sacks. And, you know, he was really praised for stopping the run. And, you know, everyone will make the lazy comparison with Deion Jordan, Oregon. Right, the Forest Buckner, Oregon, but I, I think that's that's a lazy um, analysis to make. 
he, oh, he will totally be agree. a player, but, but I don't know if the Dolphins will go after him. Another one is Emmanuel Ogba from Oklahoma State. The thing about him is he's not going to be really, you know, looked at as a guy who's going to um, rush the passer. He's more of a, you know, edge setter, stopping the run and getting his body in there. So I don't think the Dolphins are really being played. I mentioned Kamdiche. That's how you say his name, right? Yeah, the defensive end slash defense, the defensive end defensive tackle for Ole Miss. Yeah. Um, again, if it wasn't for his off-field issues, the guy would be talking. We would be talking about you know one of the top picks in the NFL draft. So I don't think he might drop down to the middle rounds, and the Dolphins can trade down a few spots. I personally think they could to get him. Some say that the Dolphins will take him right in the top ten, and, and if the Dolphins don't, then another team might take them. Um, you also got Shalit Calhoun from Michigan State, who the Dolphins are very interested in as well. Um, he's a little raw right now. He just fit in both a 3-4 and a 4-3. And one of the biggest things about Calhoun is his leadership in the locker room. And then the last guy I think they would look at is Noah Spence uh, from Eastern Kentucky. Not a big school, uh, but that's really not an issue. He's very fast off the edge. The, one of the weaknesses about, about Spence is sometimes he has trouble getting off blocks when the bigger yeah. linemen get their hands on him. Um but he's so shifty and fast that they have a tough time getting a hold of him to begin with. The he's, thing about Spence, though, is people are saying that he's not doing it very well in interviews thus far um, at the Senior Bowl, so that might take some points off of his board. If you have to put a gun to my head right now, and assuming all those guys are on the board, I think I would go Calhoun right now. Um, just because of his leadership and just because of the fact that he can play in both a 4-3 and a 3-4 easily. The thing is, you know, I really think the Dolphins will be moving to a 3-4 in the next four to six years if Adam Gase and Vance Joseph are still here. They're both, I think, kind of 3-4 guys, but the only reason why they're sticking with 4-3 is because it makes sense with his personnel. And, of course, you got Adamic and Sue in the middle there. Uh, but I think eventually the long-term plan is to go to a 3-4 defense and Calhoun can be someone that can play in both. It's funny that you say a lot of that because Adam Gase, when they asked him about the defense yesterday, said that when when he and uh, Vance Joseph talked about what kind of scheme they were going to use, it made the most sense to use the 4-3, not that right, they thought right. it, it was the best call long-term. So it's funny you mentioned that because uh, Vance Joseph spent time with uh, Wade Phillips in Houston and got a first-hand right. look at that one-gap 3-4 that Wade Phillips likes to run. I would love yeah. to bring something like that to Miami. And that's a that's a scheme where and, guys like Endomic and Sue would absolutely run amok. And listen, Tannenbaum has always been a 3-4 guy. Chris Greer, yeah. you know, learned under Parcells, been a 3-4 guy. Vance Joseph came into the league as a 3-4 guy. Yeah, it makes sense to go to a 4-3 right now. And even Vance Joseph in his opening press conference. When he was asked about a 4-3 or 3-4, he said, right now, we're best suited for a 4-3. That tells me that they want to eventually go to a 3-4. you got Dominic Sue, which makes things a little tougher. He's not a prototypical 3-4 defensive tackle. But if you want to move him to the outside as a defensive end, you know, there's no reason why he can't handle that on the outside. So, you know, it will be interesting to see how they draft this year because that will give us a few hints but also where they go towards the future with, with this defense and whatnot. You know, if they, if they are, listen, if Adam Gase is still here in, in six, five, six years, Vance Joseph will not be the defensive coordinator. He'll be somewhere else having a head coaching job. Because we yeah. know the offense is going to be in good hands. And if, if Gase is still here in five, six years, it's because defense is really thriving too. So 
it all starts with Gase, and I really like the way that Gase has structured this coaching staff. It really has some continuity to it. You feel comfortable if, if one of the you know top coaches leaves, someone else can just simply step right in and take a spot under Joe Field, and you never got that sense of you know people stepping in if, if different people left. Well, that wide nine will allow this team to really bridge between a 4-3 and a 3-4 because they're, if you're right. running the wide nine, you're putting your defensive ends in less situations where they have to stop the run in, in those, yep. pa- those passing type downs. Uh, and it favors a lot of bulk on the interior uh, because, I mean, typically you're going to, when you have those guys or you have your de- defensive ends out wide you're, and you're going downhill at tackles like that, you're forcing – uh, the guard essentially to and the center to choose, are they going to take on the penetrating uh, three technique they have in there, which will be in Dominican Sioux, or are you going to um, provide a double on the one technique in there, which would be a guy like a Paul, Paul Soliai or, or Jordan Phillips. So, I mean, you have a lot of that size in there and that allows you to transition to that three, four. So really that part of it is genius. The only thing that worried mm-hmm. me when he brought up the white nine was, Oh man, these guys do not have the linebackers to uh, to cover no, up war no. to cover cover up warts in the wide nine. I know because I remember watching uh, Detroit do it when Jim Schwartz was there, and that was when their linebacker cover was pretty bare, and those guys just absolutely got pulverized by the ground game because they didn't have the linebackers to fill those gaps. Yep. So listen, so, uh, you know, Dolphins are probably not going to target linebacker in the draft, at least in the early rounds. They're going to go after at least two linebackers free agency. I know there's some talk about Cole Misa coming back. And it's possible they do keep him. They're going to give Neville Hewitt a real chance to get the starting job. They like Jelani Jenkins. They're going to give him a chance. But they're also going to target, you know, Danny Trevis. I'm from Denver. I've mentioned quite a few times. They're going to uh, target Ray from Cincinnati. Um, and, listen, there's some cuts going on, too. D'Amico Ryan's just got cut. He's moved to the top of the list in, as far as free agent linebackers go. So, you know, Dolphins will have some options to choose from in free agency. I don't think Colomisi makes this roster when it's all said and done after free agency in the draft. Yeah, I think we're so sure about that. I, I think that they are going to favor uh, the the agile part of the linebacker core. I think that especially if you're if you're opening up uh, your second level to a wide nine uh, type look at times, uh, you're going to need that agility in there. I've, we've got about five minutes before our guest comes on, but I do want to ask one more question because we've talked about the defensive side of the ball. But suppose the Dolphins go best player available at number eight. And right now we're talking about all these, like DeForest Buckner could be the first defensive player taken. If that happens, you're going to see this sort of rollback where, where does Jalen Ramsey go? Does Dallas still go with Miles Jack? Does Jalen Ramsey fall to Jacksonville? If he falls to Jacksonville, what happens to Joey Bosa? Because Joey Bosa, for the most part, does not fit what the Baltimore Ravens do on defense. And San Francisco is kind of up in the air because they've got other issues too. So, I mean, a lot of can happen. Who knows? But suppose Ronnie Stanley is there at number eight. Is there any chance the Dolphins look at an offensive lineman early? You know, I think so. Because, you know, you figure Laramie Tunsil probably going to go number one to the Titans if they still hold that pick. Yeah. Ronnie Stanley, um, you know, he's not, he's obviously not as polished as Tunsil. He, um, he needs some work. He's, he's a little raw still. He lacks a little power and, and, you know, a little bit of an aggressiveness and mean streak. And, and he could get a little stronger for the NFL level. Um, if you saw when Notre Dame played Clemson, he struggled containing Shaq Lawson for, you know, the vast majority of the game. 
I do yeah. think they would consider him. Um, but again, I, I just don't know. You know, Brandon Albert's cap number is huge, but they it came out today the Dolphins carried over you know I think nine million dollars in cap space. Yeah. But Brandon Albert post June first, you save ten million dollars. Um, but they're probably going to restructure Sue, which I know many of us don't agree with. Gun to my head. I said that twice already tonight. Shit, I hope nobody puts a gun to my head tonight. Um, <laughs> gun to my head if, you know, Staley's, if he's on the board and you're looking at the top flight defensive end, I still think they go defensive end. And this isn't any information. It's just a hunch. But I really think that the Dolphins will focus on the defensive line. I think Gase is happy with Albert. I think they're going to add one guard in free agency and let Turner and Jameel Douglas compete for that other guard spot. Um, but I, I think the, the huge emphasis will be on the defense in both free agency and the draft. All right. Well, I'm happy you're able to stop by for a little bit, and you managed to make it through this time without uh, your one-and-a-half-year-old. Uh, yeah, she didn't come in. I shut the door and just locked her out. She might be out there crying or something, probably drawn over the walls. Hey, we're talking draft. Who cares? Uh, so <laughs> exactly. uh, I appreciate I appreciate you calling in, and hopefully you can do this again because I appreciate. I love the insight. Like I said, I wish I had sources. I, uh, I, I know people who live down there. I just I don't have I don't have that that sort of sense of the pulse in terms of what's going on with this team. So I appreciate you coming on, and uh, hopefully you we can no do problem. this again soon. All right, great. Man, I'll talk to you guys later. All, All right. right, take care, buddy. All right, bye. All right, Matthew Kanata, that was a pleasant surprise. Uh, we'll actually uh, go ahead and uh, take our next call. Uh, caller, please reveal yourself. Hey, this is Evan Western from Acme Packing Company. Oh, you're early. Hey, what's going on? I am. Sorry to, sorry to jump uh, jump the gun here. No, no, I appreciate it. I actually, because I, I saw you're calling in with, like, I think that's a Ohio area code. And I thought, well, that yeah, could be. Yeah, I should have. <laughs> I should have mentioned that. Yeah, I'm I'm based in Ohio instead of uh, back in Wisconsin. So, all right, we can roll right into it then. The, our special guest tonight, uh, he's with Acme Packing uh, Company, which is SB Nation's uh, Green Bay Packers site. Uh, do you prefer to be called Evan or Tex? Um, it I'm perfectly comfortable either way. We'll go with Tex. That so, sounds pretty badass. There you go. Yeah, more, more people know me by Tex on that at this point anyway. <laughs> So, all right, we, we mentioned that you are in Indianapolis right now. That's right. Okay. What's it like to be part of the NFL Scouting Combine? It's a little bit of a crazy, hectic event. Um, this is my the second year in a row that I've been here. And it's, it is it, it is really kind of crazy just how many media members are here. Um, I know that was a big, uh, big talking point over the last week or two is that I think they credentialed something like 1,200 media members. So there's almost four times as many media as there are players here. And it, it's just a zoo. It's, it's kind of bizarre, but we've got, uh, they've got everybody set up in the, the big media room, which is really one of the club level areas uh, here at Lucas Oil Stadium. And then kind of out in the, the main concourse, they've got a uh, like radio row. So they've got a bunch of the, the radio shows are set up out there, but the, the, the last two days, the players and GMs have just been uh, players, coaches, GMs are just rolling through um, every you know 15 minutes or so, and there's really not a whole lot of time to to stop and think. It's it's certainly less hectic for us than it is for the players themselves, but because uh, at least everything for us is done between about 
eight thirty and five. But um, yeah, it's it's a lot of getting up, you know, going over, talking to a player for ten minutes, sit down for five minutes, try to get a little bit of uh, those comments transcribed, and then you, know, you hear another player or or coach's name right over the PA, and then you, you rush out of your seat to go and go and talk to them. But it's a really fun experience um, getting to know some of the players and uh, and talking to them one on one or you know three, four, five media members to 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 a player. Um, but really kind of getting to know these guys as people um, and realizing that, yeah, these are, these are human beings, even though they're here for this, um, this, this athletic um, testing that, that, that goes on. And, and it kind of almost seems like they're treated like pieces of meat sometimes at a, at a meat market. But yeah, it's, it's, that's what I really get out of it is just seeing that these guys really are, you know, normal human beings. They're, they're guys fresh out of college and they're, you know, they're, they've got their, uh, their little quirks and, um, you know, interesting stories and things to tell just like anybody else. Who's your favorite prospect you've talked to thus far? Because, I mean, we're, we're in day two. Not a lot has gone on except the measurements for the offensive line. Uh, yesterday yep. there was the measurements for the, the quarterbacks and receivers today. And I think the offensive line also uh, did their bench press. So not a yep. ton going on. It's about to get crazy. But, I mean, who's your favorite prospect that you've talked to thus far? There's a couple of really good interviews. Um, we've had a chance to do most of the offensive prospects. Um, so it was the, the linemen and some of the running backs came through yesterday, and then quarterbacks, receivers, uh, tight ends today. But there's two, two or three that really stand out to me. Uh, Stanford guard Joshua Garnett, um, mm. who, who won the Outland Trophy this year. Um, he'd been their left guard for, I think, three and a half years as a starter, something like that. But he was really interesting to talk to. He, he got talking about how um, you know, his – He's a he's both a cerebral and a just nasty, you know, nasty attitude player when he gets on the field. So he's he's kind of a technician and he matches that with a, a nasty attitude. I think his his exact quote was, "I want to run through your soul when I'm blocking you." And so that got that uh, got all the media some good laughs. But um, this is a guy who's a human biology major. Apparently, after he is done with uh, with his football career, he wants to go back to med school and be a trauma surgeon. So he uh, he was talking about that and how he got got involved with some some clinical rotations and things and did a um, did a rotation in a in an ER and I guess he he said that he uh, he really got interested in doing that by watching like untold stories of the ER or some some TV show and he just decided you know what that sounds awesome I want to do this for a living that's amazing because so that, that, that was I find the show horrifying. So that's amazing. <laughs> oh, I, I I completely agree. I mean, I I can I can do okay if I you know if I get cut and see my own blood or something, but somebody right. else's, you know, that would that would probably do it for me. But um, yeah, it's it's a it's a fascinating thing. And the other one actually, uh, perhaps surprisingly enough, was another guy who um, is is wanting to go into the medical field um, is tight end Ben Browniker. He's from Harvard. And he is doing molecular biology and wants to be uh, wants to also go to med school for infectious diseases. And so it, it's just kind of funny that these two guys on back-to-back days, you know, they're on opposite coasts and they almost seem to have kind of parallel, um, you know, career plans for for what they want to do after school. But that was that was a fun one because there's two Harvard prospects here. Um, Broniker's one. He's projected as maybe a mid to late round tight end. And then uh, they've got an offensive lineman, Cole Toner. He's a tackle, and he's also kind of a mid-round guy. But they both actually grew up in Indiana. They met at an Indiana high school all-star football game, found out that they were both going to, Har- both going to Harvard, 
and decided to sign up as roommates together in Harvard. And so they've been roommates ever since. They've basically been best friends. And now they trained at the same place for the combine, and now they're here in Indianapolis together. And so that was kind of a cool story. And, and they were telling, uh, I think Cole was saying that um, the two of them like to play a lot of Super Smash Brothers in their downtime. So I found out that Cole's a Yoshi guy, and uh, uh, Ben likes to, to play with either Fox or Marth. So I thought that was No cool. love for Sonic. Okay. No. <laughs> Yeah, and and it was it was funny. One of my one of my readers today was talking about that. He was like, "Yeah, based on their choices, I think we know that uh, that Ben is the better player." But uh, I thought that was pretty funny. But yeah, just again, it's it's the little little things like that that you know they're they play video games. They're human like the rest of us, and I find that to be uh, just kind of a, a a fun angle to to take when you're you're talking to all of these guys. Josh Garnett has kind of become a, an interesting prospect for Dolphins fans uh, since he arrived there. Mm-hmm. Which is funny because he's he's good enough to help. I think eventually Dolphins fans get over the whole Stanford offensive line stigma, which was brought on by Jonathan Martin. Right. So yeah, he's definitely he's definitely um, from from what I've seen of him uh, a very polished run blocker. He's he's pretty athletic for his size, um, and and he does does a lot of you know a lot of pulling like a lot of those Stanford guards do. Um, so, so certainly in the run game, um, I, I think he's solid. He could, he could use probably a little bit of, uh, you know, work on his technique and in pa- pass protection. The other fun thing with Garnett too, is we got talking about the fact that at the Laurie's beef bowl, which is the annual pre Rose bowl prime rib eating competition that, that both teams participate in as a freshman, he ate seven 24 ounce pieces of beef. That's disgusting. Which, it's it's ridiculous. I, I, that's that's ten and a half pounds of beef in one sitting. And I asked him if he could do that again, and he says, um, "I couldn't do that now." He said he he weighed about three thirty as a freshman. He said he's down to three twelve. And he said, "Yeah, after that, I yeah, I probably did weigh about three forty five after that meal." So that is yeah, insanity. It's it's ridiculous. And I was able to dig up a video of David Shaw, the Stanford head coach, um, before the beef bowl. Um, saying that Garnett was going to be his his secret weapon, and that Garnett was a legendary eater um, in the locker room, and and that was after having just come as a freshman. So, so one question I have, um, because you're a Packers fan, yeah. uh, so you probably the Packers need some pass catchers. We heard that all through the year, especially after Jordy Nelson's injury, which by the way it sounds like he's coming back just fine. Happy to hear yep. that. I'm a big Jordy Nelson fan. Uh, I'm hearing that the team has a lot of interest in a player named Laquan Treadwell. And Laquan, Laquan Treadwell has been one of the more interesting players at the Combine in terms of his interview today, or his presser, if you will, uh, came off mm-hmm. pretty brazen. I mean, he's definitely a, a sh- pretty confident guy. Uh, is he... A, I don't know how much time you've, uh, or if you've been able to talk to him, if you've uh, seen the stuff that he's said or heard it. Uh, is the guy just a straight shooter when it comes to sharing his thoughts? Or, I mean, is he out there just talking? You know, to be honest, I, I did not have a chance to sit on sit in on, on his media availability. Um, it's interesting that you mention receiver as one of the Packers needs, because I think most Packers fans would, would maybe dispute that a little bit. I think, Mm-hmm. I don't think the tight end is a much bigger need than receiver. And, and in large part, that's because, like you said, Nelson's coming back. It looks like he's going to be ready to go for training camp. Um, and, and also the fact that both 
Randall Cobb and Devontae Adams were dealing with nagging injuries all season long. Um, Mike McCarthy even said that there are a couple games that you know a normal person might not have been able to play with the, the types of injuries that Cobb had. So I think that was really a big drain on his production as well. Um, I think you get Jordy back. You've got some, some young talent there. I, I wouldn't be necessarily surprised to see them draft a receiver, but I don't think they would do it on day one and maybe not even on day two. So that's just my gut thing. Um, and partially because of that, I haven't really done a whole lot of um, – had a chance to do a whole lot of scouting on the receivers. But I did think that it was interesting that Treadwell made the decision not to run the 40, especially because that was – you know, one of the questions that it seems like a lot of people have had about him leading up to the draft. So that that's an, an interesting choice. I'm very curious to see what he does with uh, running the 40 at his pro day for sure. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry that I don't have any, uh, any more insights for you on, on Treadwell as far as his, his personality. Oh no, that's fine. I just, uh, one of my, one of my best friends is a diehard Packers fan to the point where like he'll buy, mm-hmm he buys Nike shoes and he gets them like custom green and gold. I mean, he, he, nice. he, he loves that team and he just, he wants pass catchers. I mean, it's, he's mm-hmm. a big fan of Hunter Henry. Obviously I think most Packers yep. fans are uh, yep. tight end from Arkansas. A uh, big, big dude, by the way, he, he measured in about what? Six, five, two fifty. That, yeah, I think that was right about it. Oh man. That's... He was, uh, I did. Yeah. And I did get to talk to him and, and sit in on his presser and he definitely seems like a, you know, a, a he, he's going to be a, a model teammate, um, you know, model, model rookie going to come in work his tail off. Um, and he, he certainly seems like he takes pride in the, um, the blocking as much as the, the receiving aspect of that position. So I think he's one of the few guys at that position this year, who's really a, a good, solid all around tight end who can, uh, you know, who can threaten up the seam, threaten over the deep middle, as well as be a, a good inline blocker. In terms of the prospects there and, and the ones who are about to perform, wh- which guys have the most buzz right now? Just in your talking with, with other spectators there, who are the guys people really want to see? They're excited to watch work out and see, see what they're able to do with their draft stock. Um, one, of the, one name that really stands out to me and, and it's, surprising because he hasn't even come into the media room yet because he doesn't show up till tomorrow, but that's Noah Spence, the, the pass rusher out of Eastern Kentucky, the former Ohio State guy. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of people who are really excited to both talk to him, partially because of the off-the-field issues, the, the drug tests and things that, uh, that got him uh, booted from the Big Ten, but also to see what sort of an athletic performance he's going to put up in drills on, I think, on Sunday when, when – defense starts working out. So that's one name in particular uh, people are excited about. Um, trying to think on, on offense, I think everybody was, was real excited to see Derrick Henry, especially after he weighed in. Um, but now that it looks, it sounds like he's not going to be running that everybody's kind of uh, a little disappointed about that one. Right. So they always want to see how fast they can run. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. The 40 yeah, yard dash. And, and, Right, and and with him at at that size and coming in at what six two and a half two forty seven I think it was I mean that's seeing him in person yeah he's he's just a massive guy. Um, another one that I, I think Carson Wentz certainly is another name that that there's a lot of buzz around. Everybody wants to see him throw, see uh, see how he does athletically. He's got the size. He he you know apparently has interviewed well, 
And then one that I'm very interested about, uh, Braxton Miller, I think is the, the other name that really jumps out to me um, because of his transition from quarterback to receiver. Um, how's he going to do in the receiving drills as far as route running and his hands go? Uh, but certainly there's, there's thought that he could be one of the fastest guys here. Um, so that, that, that's definitely another guy to keep an eye on. Are people there as obsessed with arm lengths and hand measurements as the people on Twitter? <laughs> You know, there was there was one point where I looked over, you know, down the road media tables, and I actually saw somebody with a tape measure out trying to measure his hands. And I'll admit, I've done it just out of curiosity to see how big my hands are. I haven't done it here, um, but yeah, it's it's definitely a topic of discussion for sure. Um, you know, arm length, especially when it comes to offensive defensive linemen, um, that that gets discussed a lot and yeah it's the, the the talk about hand sizes is, is kind of hilarious because there are a bunch of questions and some of the coaches and, and gm's pressers this this year you know talking about well would you would you draft a guy with you know hands that were you know under a certain length or you know, a certain length or and, and it's to some extent it's a little bit overblown it's one of those to me where the only thing that really stands out is your outliers if you're really really small hands really really big hands Anything in that kind of middle range, you know, a quarter inch here or there, often off the average isn't really going to do a whole lot, one way or the what other. What do you make a What do you make opinion. a Jared Goff? And his and this is all want people want to talk about today are the nine inch hands. And I will also include the fact that at work we were so interested in this that we all decided to measure our hand and see who <laughs> who was who was the combine champion. I'm pleased yeah. to say I won. I won. Uh, but I mean, is it is it something where is it just kind of a joke? Because I mean, Dolphins fans have heard this before. Because Ryan Tannehill had nine inch hands, mm-hmm. and that was something yeah, where people yeah. thought, "Oh, the baby hands! Oh no, he's not going to be able to hang on to the football and then turn into this entire thing." What's your impression of it with Jared Goff? Yeah, I don't I don't see it being a, an issue for him. I mean, he throws a, a pretty good looking ball. Um, so as far as the the delivery, the mechanics of it, I don't, I don't think that's going to really affect his, his ability to throw it. Um, and you know, it, frankly, my my thought is, well, don't get your quarterback hit, and then he won't have an opportunity to fumble the ball in the first place. So, uh-huh. Right. You know, that's true. I, I think that's the easiest way to make it a non-issue is if the guy can throw well. You know, put a put a good line out in front of him and and try to try to make sure he doesn't get hit, and and then that's that's going to be more effective at making sure that your quarterback doesn't fumble then, you know, if his hands are a half inch too small. You are cutting to the core of Dolphins fans right now, Tex. I just want <laughs> you to know that that's something that, I mean, it's a discussion that comes up often. One, I mentioned the arm length. Uh, this is one of the more freakish groups I think I've seen in terms of arm length that not a lot of T-Rex arms this year. Uh, you didn't mm-hmm. see the Tyron. Tyron Smith, I think, was like 36 and 3 eighths. When in 2011 at the combine, I think yeah. the Raven, the Raven Clark is like 36 and one eighth, but you saw a lot of guys like Ronnie Stanley, something like 35 and five eighths, something real freakish like that. Oddly enough, yep. uh, the first round tackle um, outside of uh, Taylor Decker, the guy who's got the shortest arms would be Laramie Tunsil. And he's something like, he's right. like 30, 34 and a quarter, I think, which yep. is, I mean, was certainly good enough. Yeah, I remember when uh, Jake Long came out, and I think Jake Long was like 33 and some, and people were like, ah, baby arms. He's not going to be able to play left tackle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 
Tigers fans can relate to that too, because Brian Belaga, when he came out in 2010, um, he was also tabbed as a as a short arm guy. Um, I want to say his were you know around that 33 inch length too. Yeah. Um, and and you know he's he certainly worked out just fine at right tackle, and um, you know they were going to move him over to left tackle a couple of years ago before he blew out his ACL. So it, it I agree. I think the overall for whatever reason it just seems like a class that especially at the top, the very top guys. Um, you know, everybody's measuring in uh, at at sort of that ideal 34 plus. Um, and then, like you said, yeah, you've got those those outliers. Your um, Raven Clark, I think German Effetti from Texas A&M was at 36 also. Um, so yeah, you, you, it's it's kind of funny to to see the reactions to some of this stuff. And and again, it's it's the outliers to me that that really speak volumes. It's you know 33, 33 and a half. Okay, fine. Um, once you start getting, you know, 31 inch, then then maybe that's a, a valid concern. Um, but agreed, I, I, I do agree that it just seems like the the top guys, they're, they're a little a little longer on average than than maybe in previous years. Jack Conklin at 35 inches, I was surprised by that. Um, that's a mm-hmm. that's a nice reach he's got there. Uh, you mentioned your offensive line, and I want to talk to you. Uh, for about about that for a moment because I'm a big fan of Brian Belaga. I loved him at Iowa. Uh, he's actually from Crystal Lake, which is about 20 minutes away from where I grew up. So mm-hmm. uh, pretty close proximity. But the guy who fascinates me the most on your offensive line is David Bakhtiari, mainly because, you know, mid-round guy comes out of Colorado. Nobody, I mean, he was what, two-star recruit for the Buffaloes. Nobody yep. really cared about that guy. You thought he was a mid-round prospect. I remember his his draft grade and everything in the pro football weekly guide, they just destroyed him. And I was like, Oh man, I like how I've always liked Colorado and Colorado state offensive linemen. I have no idea why, but like when guys <laughs> like Ty Sambrello come out, I'm like, Oh yeah. I was I'm just going to ask him. <laughs> yeah. Guys like him. And I mean, last year, I was a big fan of Ty Sambrello and people were like, why? And I was like, well, I like his game. I also like the fact that he's from Colorado state. So it, but David Bakhtiari has become, a very good left tackle for the Packers so much so that when he was out in that first Arizona game, Aaron Rodgers and company paid the price for that guy missing, missing on the left side of the line. And then Bulaga was out too on the right side and it turned into a mess. That was, that game was, is going to give Aaron Rodgers nightmares for years to come because the, not only is the fact that, like you said, that Bakhtiari has become a pretty, pretty darn good tackle. Um, and Belaga is certainly good in his own right as well. But the drop off uh, to the backups was, I mean, it was it was like dropping off a cliff. Um, Don Barkley had to step in at left tackle. That just was unfortunately a, a mess and a disaster. And then bring in you know Josh Walker, who's essentially a guard in to play right tackle. It, it, there, there was just no hope for for uh, for Rogers and company when when both of those two guys were down. But I actually got a chance to talk to Bakhtiari um, over the phone this morning. And it, it's interesting because, like you said, he he had to jump into the starting role on day one as a rookie and blog towards ACL. And it's nobody really had any idea what to expect of this, this fourth-round guy that a lot of people were seeing to move inside the guard. And it, he has certainly far surpassed anybody's expectations for him. He's a very, very good pass blocker. Um, certainly still um, still could use some work anchoring the run game a little bit, but but as far as pass protection goes, he's very good. 
and um, he's got one year left on his rookie contract. He'll be a free agent after this year. Um, actually, the Packers are, are going to be in an interesting situation because four of their top six linemen will be free agents after this year. So they're going to have to – I think they're definitely going to be looking at offensive line uh, fairly early in the draft this year. Um, but uh, but Bakhtiari, I think, is a guy who, who definitely will um, – Ted Thompson and company will pull out you know, all the stops within reason to try to make sure that, that he's back and he gets re-signed for, uh, for a long-term contract to stay in Green Bay. The last question I, I have for you is still tied to the offensive line because Green Bay the past couple of years has put together a very good – offensive line where at one point people perceived that as the biggest weakness in Green Bay. I remember mm-hmm. uh, he- hearing, I'm traveling through Wisconsin. I want to say this is probably, uh, this would have been the 2010 season. So the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl season for you guys, yep. uh, people just calling in and talking about how bad the offensive line was. And now you look at it, you got Bakhtiari sitting. Uh, I don't even remember who your center is at this point. It used to be Scott Wells. Lindley. Yeah. yeah there Lindley we go. From Ohio State. Yeah, well, yeah, Ohio State, how could I forget? And then you've got uh, yeah. Lang and, and then uh, Bulaga. So a lot of Dolphins fans, myself included, just pretty much have trouble sleeping at night knowing that we've got a quarterback back there who's still trying to prove himself, still trying to turn the corner, taking an absolute beating. And the offensive line, I don't know how familiar you are with the Dolphins situation, especially in the trenches uh, offensively, but it's been bad. Mm-hmm. It's been really, really bad to the point where I think in in uh, four years, Tannehill's ta- Ryan Tannehill has taken almost 200 sacks. He's just taken an absolute beating. So for as a fan of a team that turned it around and really made it work in the trenches, what advice do you have for Dolphins fans? I mean, who? I mean, we need guard <laughs> upgrade. We need we we need better play at tackle too. I mean, is there anything you you can tell us that will make it make it easier well what i can say is that there are good players to be found at every level of the draft because when you look at the draft status of of all five of the packers starters on the line um you've got brian balaga is a first round pick but he's the only one who was picked on days one or two of the draft bakhtiari was a fourth round pick josh sitton was a fourth round pick i think tj lang was a fourth rounder and then Lindsay was a fifth rounder two years ago and you throw uh, J.C. Treader, who's our kind of backup swing tackle center guy, and, and he was a fourth-round pick. So you, there are, are bargains to be found. There are guys that, that you can find that have talent you know, later on in the draft. Um, some of it's scouting. Some of it is development, I think. Uh, James Campen is, is a very good offensive line coach. Um, and I think some of it sometimes is just dumb luck that, that you get a guy who – um, for whatever, for some reason or another, gets overlooked, and you know, maybe he's got the intangibles to to make it work. I think Lindsley is an example of that because, kind of like Bakhtiari, Lindsley was forced into the starting lineup early because of an injury, and he had to he had to start from day one as well. And his attitude, he's got that kind of nasty demeanor about him, and he just he, he, it's it's something intangible with him where he just refuses to to lose and to to give up on a play, and I don't know if I can if I can really give any you know give any advice on what to look for, but but just you know as long as you as long as you know there there are people out there who can be had for you know for a reasonable draft investment or, or a reasonable price, um, 
it's just a matter of, you know, identifying them, taking enough shots on them in the draft um, at those areas. And, you know, you buy enough lottery tickets sooner or later, one of them is bound to cash in, right? I think that's generally oh, said Johnson's philosophy a lot of ways. So he, yeah, he tends yeah. to like to hold on to a lot of his draft picks and, and not, not use them to trade up. And I think that's, that's his philosophy. You get more lottery tickets, you know, sooner or later you're bound to hit more often than not. Well, Tex, thank you for visiting with us. I appreciate it. We were able to do about a half hour. I know you got a lot going on while you're at the Combine in Indianapolis. We're all jealous of you as you're out there. So um, hopefully we can bring it back uh, in a couple of weeks and you can talk about your overall impression, uh, your, your big takeaways from going out to Indianapolis. So, um, yeah, we'll uh, go ahead and bring you on within the next couple of weeks, and we appreciate you stopping by the show. Definitely. That that sounds like a plan. I uh, appreciate you having me on, and I will I will certainly look forward to, to doing it again sometime in, in the not-too-distant future. All right, great. Thank you. All right, thanks a lot. Go Pack Go. Yeah, get out of here with that. <laughs> now have a great night. All right, thanks a lot. All right, that was a Tex winner. He's with uh, Acme uh, Packing Company. I appreciate him stopping by. He's fortunate that he's able to go out and enjoy the combine. Uh, we'll go ahead and bring on our usual panel. We have Dolphin Fan for Life. How's it going? All right. All right. Uh, thanks for uh, sitting on hold for so long, too. Uh, a couple of things that we can uh, go ahead and discuss, uh, just everything that came through. We'll start with some of the stuff that Matthew Kanata brought up. Uh, what do you guys think in terms of what this team's looking at uh, at number eight? Do you think they'll bypass that linebacker position and go with free agents? Do you think that it's merely a, a really a matter of who's available at that pick? What would you do, and what do you think they'll do? Well, I've heard the same thing that Matt has, which is okay. that the team is very, very interested in defensive linemen, and barring DeForest Buckner shooting up in the draft, that he could be the guy they take at number eight. I mean, obviously, free agency is going to change everything. The most interesting thing I've heard out of Miami in the last – in the last week is um, their level of interest in Bruce Irvin as a, the Seattle Seahawks linebacker as a potential replacement for Olivier Vernon. He would not be playing linebacker anymore. He would be playing defensive end, which would be a very good fit for him with the wide nine. And um, that would, that's something that the team is very interested in. I mean, they think he'd be a step cheaper than Olivier Vernon because he's the Olivier Vernon's a more multidimensional player in the eyes of those who are giving out these contracts. And, you know, he brought up something that's very good and that I've heard that I've heard out of the team. I mean, whenever you get into specific personnel moves at this time of year, it's not really about specific moves. It's about learning what the philosophy is of the new coaches and of the new staff that's been brought in. And right now that philosophy on defense is that they want, to build at the defensive line and in the secondary. I mean, you know, in Cincinnati, the defenses Vance Joseph worked with kind of had linebackers switching in and out. And what really made a difference is the defensive ends. And that's a position that they're, they're willing to put a lot of resource in into this offseason. I mean, it makes sense. You see what teams like Denver do where, 
you know, they establish a pass rush, which allows their secondary to play better. I mean, I think it's a lot easier to find, to find players who can rush the passer and make the job of the defensive backs easier rather than finding defensive backs who can cover for so long that you're getting coverage sacks. Because we all know that coverage sacks are very, very rare and limited to teams with secondaries like Seattle's. And um, so based, based on what Matt says, I can tell you that the team is heavily considering defensive line in the first round and will look to go at a player like Bruce Irvin if he becomes a free agent, which is which most expect him to, and if Olivier Vernon's not there. Those those are the two guys that they're that they're very interested in. And and also that, you know, I think we can kind of you kind of have to check all this stuff off with common sense as well and based on the combination of what I've heard and common sense, it would make sense that Earl Mitchell would also be on the on the bubble. Yeah. I mean if you're if you're in that wide nine and you're you're looking for uh, a defensive end. Bruce Irvin is the kind of guy you want in there. You want that guy who brings that speed and can convert speed to power. Uh, I mean, as we talked before, uh, if a guy is not a great run stopper, uh, that's okay. Because, I mean, oftentimes you're putting him in a, a, a fast lane type role in that wide nine on those passing downs. Um Deion Jordan, unfortunately, is a guy who would just thrive in a role like that. So it's unfortunate that uh, it hasn't been able to work out with that guy. Because when I think of the ideal wide nine defensive end, it's Deion Jordan all the way. So that's that's unfortunate. I know one thing that Max and I disagree. Well, we wouldn't say we disagree on, but I mean, I've got all these like wild theories about what could happen. And you're adamant that Joey Bosa is not going to fall. Uh, ESPN would definitely agree with you. I went through their Scouts Inc. thing, and I I had to laugh last night because they finally have their board up at their top 32 or whatever, and they have Joey Bosa number one with a grade of 97, and everyone else is at a 93. That I've never seen that much of a gap, well, even the well, Andrew I Luck think draft. I think that's that's blowing it up a little bit, but it's blowing up a, a lot. There's a natural so cycle. There's a natural cycle that occurs. You know, Joey Bosa is not the kind of dude who's going to blow you away with the measurables. You know, he's not the kind of dude who's going to run a 4-4 and put up ridiculous numbers at the combine. Those, that's reserved for the DeForest Buckners of the world. Sure. And DeForest Buckner is going to rise after the combine. Oh, yeah. But after a while, everything kind of naturally corrects itself. And you come back to the film, you know, because of the the massive amount of media coverage that's come out of the combine recently, you look at that and it changes your opinion on players really rapidly. And then after a while, you kind of go back to the film and you realize like, okay, like we're not going to let this change it. I think at the end of the day, the, the rankings that you get for the top 10 players, barring off the field issues, the rankings that you get in February end up being more, accurate than the ones that you have in late March. Yeah, I would agree with I that. Think it's, I think it's so I think at the end of the day, if I had to bet right now on the way the drafts are gonna go, I mean it's gonna be Laramie Tunsil, Jared Goff, and then after that there's a little bit more wiggle room. But the next, you know, three guys will probably be Ramsey, Bosa, Jack. Not in yeah, that order. But, I think but that, whoever um, whoever isn't taken will go to the next team at that point. But I, I don't think Joey Bose is going to fall. If he did, that would be great. But the problem is, yes, he's the best all-around player, but he's not necessarily the best fit for what the Dolphins need to do because they don't have someone right now 
who's going to thrive in that wide nine. Because, I mean, at Cameron Wake's age, the wide nine is really all about explosiveness. Yeah. And at Cameron Wake's age, you can expect him to be a good pass rusher, but Cameron Wake is better working at the line right now because of his, you know, naturally reduced athleticism. I mean, obviously he's a freak. And so he's still going to be able to hold up his end of the bargain, the end of the deal. But it's the team needs to find someone who can really play that wide nine. And it really isn't Olivier Vernon either. Olivier Vernon's a powerful player. He's, he's ex, he is explosive, but he's not wide nine explosive. A guy like Bruce Irvin is more what you're looking for in that regard. I, when I think of Olivier Vernon, I think about being really strong at the point of attack. I mean, like, yeah, he's just, he's, he's got those huge mitts. I mean, he gets him, he gets him into his man. And I mean, like his, the hand usage is good. He's just, it's kind of, honestly, his skill set in some ways is a lot like DeForest Buckner in that DeForest Buckner wins with his strength and hand usage. If you, I mean, I, I mean, you've seen yeah, him play. Yeah, completely. Yeah, I mean, so that's what remind that's what I'm reminded of. Um, I think that Joey Bosa probably no, falls no further than Jacksonville. I think Jacksonville, the idea of com, uh, pairing a guy who uh, let's because they're going to get Fowler Jr. back um, if he's yeah. not watching his family wrestle. Uh, so <laughs> you've got you've got Fowler Jr. who is in, in that Leo scheme that they run occasionally in Jacksonville. He's he's your your speed, your explosion guy, your Bruce Irvin type. Bosa, his, I think his selling point in this draft is that he's a great mix of a pass rusher in a four, three body. And he's a great, he's a great run stopper too. And it's, I mean, when you're looking at four, three ends, it's hard to find those guys, but you hit it on the head in that if the dolphins are talking about smaller defensive ends, talking about the wide nine and everything, Joey Bosa is not a great fit in that especially because I don't think he's the kind of guy who converts speed to power. I don't think he's an explosive guy. Yeah, I mean, at that point, you know, I'm the, at the beginning of the draft, I hadn't read too much on Noah Spence. I'm, my biggest red flag for a player is if they get in trouble in these, in these four to five months. Yeah, I would agree, too. I mean, it's, that's a, a huge – it's a red flag, too. We talked about Spence. Uh, I've read a lot of unflattering things, mainly from the, the Senior Bowl interviews. But, again, we're also in a season where, of course, people are going to say that because I think there are a lot of people who would like to see that guy uh, fall down a little bit, especially because, I mean, his play on the field is pretty spectacular. And he was the first guy I thought about as soon as I heard that, that Gase Presser and he came out and he said that we're they're going to be running a wide nine. I was like, well, Noah Spence is absolutely in the running for that then. Because, I mean, Noah Spence reminds me a lot of, of Bruce Irvin. And I'm not saying they take Noah Spence, but um, he's definitely in that mold. And we also talked about Shaq Lawson. I think Shaq Lawson, to a lesser degree, is also a guy who would have to be in that Leo-type role or a 3-4 linebacker because I don't like him as a 4-3 end. I don't think he's very good at stopping the run. And I think that he also lacks the strength that we were talking about with guys like Buckner, uh, Olivier Vernon, those guys who are just, just absolutely club people at the line of scrimmage. I don't, I don't see that from, from Shaq Lawson. Yeah. And if, and if the problem with bringing Olivier Vernon back on a long deal, which I don't think will happen, it'll either be franchise tag trade or just a free agent. He's not, he's not a player in a three, four. You know, Absolutely. he doesn't have the explosiveness to be an outside linebacker. He doesn't have the size to be an interior guy. And he's not hes not that driving presence that I think you need at 3-4 end. I mean, he probably could play 3-4 end. But I, 
I really think that the team is going to make a pick that can help them become more versatile. That's the other thing that I think Vance Joseph is going to want to do. We all know how painful it was to watch the Dolphins' defense pick a formation and just decide to stick with it for the entire game. You know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't vary it up at all. They wouldn't go into any hybrid fronts. Vance Joseph will do that. He's not afraid. And to do that, you need the right personnel. You need, you know, the, the king of the hybrid front in the NFL right now is Bill Belichick and Matt Patricia in New England. Absolutely. I mean, they, they don't have a set formation. I mean, I think it's like 60-40 between 3-4 and 4-3. I mean, for a while they were favoring the 3-4 in the heyday of its wealth work. But it's when you have linebackers like Jamie Collins and Dante Hightower and someone like Chandler Jones who could stand up or put his hand in the dirt, you have that flexibility, and it really throws offenses off because that's how you create – that's how you confuse offensive linemen. And one of the best way to get sacks is not necessarily just to beat your man. It's just to have your man not know where he's going and not know who he's blocking. You know, we saw that a lot with the Dolphins when teams would use – when teams would use stunts and they would just get a free shot at Ryan Tannehill. I mean, we, we know it because we've been victimized by it. We need to know it. We need to know it as someone who apply, as a team that applies it. And I think the Dolphins are really going to look to do that with their draft pick. That's why they're looking so heavily in, at defensive line in the first round, which is interesting. I should say this. Based on what I've heard, defensive line is the preference out of realism. But if something happened, I don't think that they would – pass on a player like Miles Jack. I don't think Bosa falls. I don't think Ramsey falls. I know that Ramsey won't fall. The only way that Miles Jack falls is if there's something with the medical factor. Right. Because when you have a player with a question mark like that, there's always a chance. If you're just talking about him as a player, he's going in the top five. I mean, he's an incredibly talented linebacker, and the only thing that could drive him down is medical. But I think if the team had to choose between – I don't think they're crazy about Vernon Hargreaves. Okay. I, I've I just, actually heard, I I've heard that from they're... someone else, too. Yeah, I, based on what I've heard from, from various people, it's not it's, – they don't love him, but they do really like the idea of a guy like Miles Jack, and every team does. You know, there's not a team that doesn't like him. It's, you know, this year there's a blue-chip player at every position. That's what's so unique except for maybe, you know, quarterback, you have those players and probably actually except for wide receiver as well. But you have guys like Jalen Ramsey, Miles Jack, DeForest Buckner. There's a lot at the top at Laramie Tunsil. There's a lot at the top end of this year's draft. So the Dolphins are really lucky that they didn't do the Dolphins thing and end up with the 14th pick because then they right. out of luck a little bit. You know, that's yeah. the range that you don't want to be in in this year's draft. I think, you know, people always say – Teams don't really want to trade up that often. Teams want to trade down. This year, it's going to be a rare time that the Dolphins, I think, should have several offers with which to trade down. And they're going to be in a good place to do it if they're looking at players like DeForest Buckner and Noah Spence. I think that um, you're also going to see a lot of guys try to trade up ahead of Miami, mainly because I think that there are teams that will try to get ahead of the 49ers if they suspect the 49ers will take a quarterback. Uh, DeForest Buckner, I think, is a prime trade-up or a prime target if a team trades up because a lot of the really good 3-4 teams sit in that, that 15 to 25 range. So, And I think that he's just a knockout as a five technique. 
So, um, which is where I'd prefer him. But I would also love him in uh, at at the um, at like a four three defensive end. I think he's better used as a five technique. But uh, you get a guy in there, um, you can't argue with that. Uh, one question I have is um, you mentioned Hargraves. Uh, I've got my own theories about why the Dolphins uh, might not be like over the over the moon about. Vernon Hargraves mainly because uh, in terms of overall build and skill set, I I feel like Vance Joseph favors uh, more physical, punchy corners. Even though Vernon Hargraves is pretty good at redirecting uh, his assignments, but I mean, is there is there something you've heard specifically about why the Dolphins really aren't on the Vernon Hargraves train? Like some people, is there a specific skill that just falls short uh, when they watch him? One thing I do have to say before before we go ahead with that point is we have to remember that Leon Hall was was the man for Vance Joseph for a long time in Cincinnati. Who's so built just like Vernon Hargraves. Right, exactly. So I don't think that's it. I think it really is going back to what I said. I mean, I haven't I haven't spoken with anyone in the organization specifically about Vernon Hargraves. The only thing I've spoken with them about in terms of the draft is defensive line. They see a ton of talent. They see a lot of players who are just massive amount of upside, like we all do. It's a very talented group. And so I, I don't think it's as much that they dislike Hargreaves as that they love a lot of these lines. They are yeah. really, really interested in, in, all, in these, this class of defensive linemen, linebacker hybrids, all these players who could allow them flexibility going forward. Because it's it's a perfect fit for what Vance Joseph wants to do. Guys like Noah Spence and DeForest Buckner and even um, Kemdiche if they trade down. I mean, who knows? There's there's so much possibility there, and the teams the team has to be looking. I they're looking to sign a linebacker and a corner in free agency. That who do you think they sign? Like, which linebacker do you think they they target? And ultimately, end the up only with. the only name that I've heard specifically mentioned from within the organization is uh, Bruce Irvin. But okay. I mean, you have to draw this. You have to, you know, put two and two together and figure out that both Leon Hall and Adam Jones are free agents. I mean, Vincent, it's, Vincent Ray I don't too. think I what and yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, yeah, I think I don't think they would go at Leon Hall because you'd be playing Brent Grimes with Brent Grimes, but. I don't know how they feel about Adam Jones. I mean, obviously he's one of the most polarizing players in the league, but he's good. He's really good. And yeah. so that's, that's just where you have to it, – it just depends where the organization is going to draw the line in the sand in terms of off the field, which is something interesting I'd like to get into with them at some point. But it's, it's, very, it's very fluid right now because they they don't know what's going on with Olivier Vernon or, you know, restructuring Sue or Cameron Wake. There's so much there's so much that's up in the air. The one thing that they the it's not as much that they dislike Vernon Hargreaves that they love these defensive linemen in the front office. Uh Pac Man Jones is so talented that where early in his career when he was getting in a lot of trouble, a lot of players in his position would have just washed out and that would have been that. But I mean, he, he is an excellent. I mean, he is so fast, and just I he mean, graded his, out. 
great out the season as like a top five cornerback from uh, pro football focus. I mean, the Bengals secondary was really good this season. I mean, we all know about Reggie Nelson. I don't think the team will go after him just because, you know, the safety position is one that's highly complimentary, but it's not, you, you don't build your defense around a safety. I totally agree. Yeah. So the team, unless it's a player like Dion Buchanan, who can come down and play linebacker too, but the Dolphins have Rashad Jones. So, and I mean, it's, it was interesting to hear Adam Gase specifically name names when talking about Devontae Parker and Jordan Cameron at the combine, because a lot of us thought that Jordan Cameron would be gone. I thought he should stay. And I think by Adam Gase specifically singling him out and saying like, he came out and said, I think the exact quote, Top, the back end of the defensive back class is good this year. So the mentality yeah. for the Dolphins has to go defensive line early and wait it out and get a corner. I mean, there are going to be guys that are there. So it's not that they have to go. It's not that they have to go corner because Vernon Hargreaves is some once-in-a-lifetime player. I think a guy like Jalen Ramsey is. Yeah. And if by some act of God Jalen Ramsey fell to the Dolphins – I don't think they would pass on him. But it's – Vernon Hargreaves is not the type of player that I think the Dolphins are going to go, like, against their position of need for in terms of a guy who can execute the wide nine. Because I think that's got to be their priority this offseason, adding someone who can execute that system. Yeah, you want to add that speed. And the the thing there that's fortunate with the wide nine is that you don't have to target bigger players. Uh, you think about guys like Chris Clemens, who was uh, a primary pass rusher in the wide nine up in Seattle. And he was, uh, what was that guy? About 200 and 230 some pounds, which I mean, for, for a outside linebacker isn't, or really a defensive end is insanity. I'm sorry, you so, broke up there for a sec. Who are we talking about? Uh, Chris Clemens, when he was in the, uh, the wide nine up in Seattle. Ooh, I think Chris Clemens might be a little bit heavier than that. Even I mean, he's a, he's a big boy. Um, I thought he was. I thought he. he is, no, no, no. The uh, the the pass rusher, not the uh, not the inside guy. But I. No, I yeah, always defense, the defensive end. I always thought he played it like a, a like a pretty lightweight for a guy that size. Because I mean, the thing is, is you're not gonna. I mean, unless you got the tight end in there, you're not gonna be able to double him. Because if he's in that wide we're nine, talking there, about the, we're talking about the Chris Clemens who went to Jacksonville, right? Uh, yeah, he's there now. I don't know yeah, what he is now. He's up okay. to 250. I thought at one point he played at like 235 or something, which, I mean, people would look at your your outside rusher and think like, oh, oh I don't think but, so. But Something oh, very interesting is there's a, there's, a, um, there's a concept that these have to be the skinnier guys that end up playing um, in that wide nine. You know, Bruce Irvin is 260 pounds. Yeah, he's a big guy. He's a, yeah, he's a big guy, but he's fast. He maintains that speed. And so it's – these rare athletes that allow you to execute the system. I mean, pass rushers in the NFL right now are some of the most ridiculous athletes we have. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's crazy how good some of these guys are. You know, we see every week the kind of things that Robert Quinn and JJ Watt and even interior guys like Aaron Donald can do at this massive size. And it's, yeah, it's very impressive that they can execute that wide nine system with such large human beings. Yeah, well, a couple of things I want to point out that Chris, 
Yeah, I think Chris Clemens, 235, 240, 245, somewhere in that range. But I mean, the point of it is that, I mean, if you're playing, if you're a pass rusher in the NFL and you're playing at 250, that is still considered light. I mean, you think about when these, yeah. these four, three yeah. defensive ends come out. I like, I think about Ryan Kerrigan and people didn't think he was big enough to play four, three end. And he was like out of Purdue, he was something like 265. And you just think like, Oh man. Um, the other thing I want to point out is um, you, you, you brought it up already with uh, Jordan Cameron and that topic that came up yesterday during Adam G- Gase's presser. Uh, I, fi- I mean, we were on Lewis's show a couple of weeks ago and that, that topic came up and I said, I figured that Jordan Cameron was safe. The reason I said that is because, I mean, just watching what Adam Gase was able to do with Julius Thomas out in Denver, uh, what he was able to do with a lot of uh, injured personnel in Chicago, I figured that Jordan Cameron was going to be an Adam Gase target, just the way he the way he's able to stretch the field as a, as a flexed out tight end. So, I mean, that part of it didn't surprise me. It would be nice if we weren't paying him what we were, or what we are, I should say. Um, if, if you're able to cut that down a little bit, it would be a perfect situation. But I do like the idea of Jordan Cameron playing in an Adam Gase offense. I mean, fine with that. Like I said, not as not as cool as what they're doling out in terms of dollars. But if they're, if you're able to save it elsewhere, if you're cutting Earl Mitchell, if you're making these moves, not really a big deal. So we're going to go ahead and um, we got about nine Hello. minutes left. Hello. Welcome Hi. back. Um, I don't know what happened. You got but, about uh, nine minutes left. Uh, what's on your mind? I was going to say Adam Jones is probably higher on the co- The coaching staff is probably higher on Adam Jones than the fans are. One of the biggest connections is something that stuck out with me that Vance Joseph said is that he takes full responsibility for – he feels like it's his fault with what happened in the playoffs with Adam Jones. Right, And the reason why that sticks out with me is because, you know, Adam Jones is a free agent. And what better way to make up for a mistake than to bring the guy on the team and show him different? I mean, the behavior that Adam Jones kind of dug himself into is not the typical Adam Jones trouble that he's usually used to getting into. As far as, like, off the field, he kept himself pretty much clean. But, you know, I really do think that Vance is probably going to try to figure out a way to talk the coaching staff into bringing him into the fold as a Dolphin, which is why I don't think... It's um, it's more an issue. It's more an issue of Stephen Ross. I mean, we often know that he has a tendency of letting business mix with football, and he's he's very he's very image centric about how the Dolphins appear publicly. And it's a question of if Adam Jones is someone that he's going to allow on the team, because no matter how much Vance Joseph begs, if Stephen Ross says no, it's a no. And the other thing is that, that that behavior in the playoffs is typical of Adam Jones. You know, he didn't – it wasn't just a couple penalties. He got off the field. He posted a, he posted a not-so-wise video on social media. He came out and he said that Antonio Brown was faking his concussion. I mean, that was typical Adam Jones. I mean, continually, continuously acting without much thought. But you're right that Vance Joseph is – they have a connection. 
And off the field, at least for that time with the Bengals when that secondary has been thriving, Adam Jones has managed to stay out of stay out of trouble. But it's a bad if it's a bad last taste that we all have in our mouths of Adam Jones of yeah, of Adam Jones right now. Just because it it comes down to not only the penalties, but how he handled it. I think the worst part is what he said about Antonio Brown. I mean, we all saw that hit. He saw that hit. Antonio and Brown was cold. But as far as like Ross goes, he really doesn't like to dip his dip his hand into like who we have on the team anyways. I mean He does. He does he does get involved in that. To I mean, an and especially extent, but I mean, like for instance, what happened with Brent Grimes. You know, I mean, it's not the first time that Miko has gone on a rant about the guy you just made your franchise quarterback. You know, those so are, I mean, and those, those are, are that's words, that's words, and that's his wife. That's not that's not Brent Grimes. I mean, Brent Grimes has been a stand-up presence on the team. Brent Grimes right. has been a great teammate. He's been a great guy. You know, they don't but want it. And the other thing is, it's not look, it's not. You don't nitpick your own players like that is the other thing because they're on your roster. You know, you don't have to make the decision as to whether they're the person you want to sign. They have to make that decision with Adam Jones. They don't have the ability to choose whether they bring Brent Grimes in. He's there. And, you know, they didn't know Miko to be a problem when they brought him in. They didn't know her to be a big problem. They knew she had a personality. But it's, it's Stephen Ross is not concerned with who the team has in terms of you know, player A versus player B, if it's all a football conversation. But when it becomes a conversation regarding A, off the field, or B, marketability, then it's big. I mean, there's, it's, it's about bringing in players who can be faces for the franchise. And if, let's say, we bring Adam Jones in, and he has, you know, eight interceptions next season, do you want Adam Jones as the face of your franchise? Do you want Adam Jones as the face of your defense? It's not. It's not necessarily something that Stephen Ross is going but to you want. You already have your face of the franchise with Sue, you know. And no, no not, people are going to not to nitpick, the, but Sue doesn't exactly have the best reputation either. Sue's reputation is very different. Sue, off I get what the, you guys are. Sue off the field has been. Yeah, Sue off the I mean, field has been great. He's incredibly intelligent. and Everything. I I see what both of you guys are saying. Actually. Uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, just wrap this up because we've got about a minute left. I, I will mention that you guys, uh, Max touched upon uh, Vance Joseph and uh, the connection that he has with Pac-Man Jones. Um, when I think about uh, Vance Joseph and I see uh, his demeanor during press conferences and whatnot, he just comes off as a hard ass. Like, I mean, what that guy says goes. So I'm really interested to see, because I think he's going to command Indomitian Sue's respect, whereas I don't think Kevin Coyle did that uh uh, very long, if at all. No. When Sue no. was down there, I wasn't ever under the impression that those two were on the same page, which, I mean, that's not a great look for Sue. I mean, I get the fact that Kevin Coyle was incredibly inept and really just a poor communicator, which if you can't communicate, what are you doing as a football coach? Um, but, I mean, Vance Joseph, I mean, it's whereas you saw a lot of these players want nothing to do with Kevin Coyle, uh, Vance Joseph's players love him. I mean, he, I mean, and he did great things with that secondary. So I absolutely think we got the right guy. I love how he carries himself. I mean, he's 
he's just looks like an intense guy. So uh, I don't know what Adam Gay said. Adam Gay said that he hired Vance Joseph before Vance Joseph accepted the job. I mean, they wanted him. They wanted him bad. And I love what he said about him. Where like, I mean, that way a lot of people thought Vance Joseph was going to go with Hugh Jackson. First, it was to the Forty Niners, and then they managed to get Vance Joseph before Hugh Jackson uh, landed the Cleveland job. I love this guy, though. I love what he's done with his players. Uh, I like the fact that he took ownership over what happened in that that Pittsburgh uh, Cincinnati playoff game. Even though, I mean, he's not the one who who made Montez Perfect uh, go upside Antonio Brown's head over the middle. And, I mean, all that mess that came out. And there was a lot of stuff that was wrong on both sides. I mean, Adam Jones should have kept his mouth shut. Adam Jones should have had the awareness to know the the gravity of the situation and how important it was at that point. Joey Porter shouldn't have been on the field either. So, um, I don't know. It's that was a huge mess on both sides of the ball, but I love, or both sides of the field, but I love the fact that Vance Joseph took ownership of it regardless. That's what a man does. So um, I'm going to go ahead and close down the show at this point. We lost some of our callers at one point or another, but we were able to get some good uh, guests tonight. Uh, Matthew Kanata came on and talked to us about his sources and Max, you have sources too. I feel like I'm the only guy on this show who doesn't have like any like person in the know. I don't have sources. No. Lewis and I, this is why Lewis and I get along, because we don't have sources. But Lewis so. is local. Lewis is local. He's he's captain. He's the man of the people. Oh, I wish I was local. I wish I lived. Uh, I spent a lot of time growing up in South Florida as a kid, but I would love to be back there living, especially because any place is better than <clears throat> Illinois. So um, with that Paradise. in mind, we'll go. Yeah, right. It's, it's great. Uh, we'll go ahead and fold it up for tonight. I want to thank my guest, Matthew Kanata. Uh, we had Tex Winter come by. Uh, I love that name. That just that just sounds like I hope I don't know like a guy who wears like a cowboy hat when he's calling in. That sounds uh, like Tex a nineteen seventies like Steelers linebacker. For sure, for sure, yeah. Uh, Tex Winter, they're going to draft him out of SMU, and he's going to he's going <laughs> to do good, he's going to do great things in that Doomsday defense. So, uh, yeah, if for the uh, the Cowboys, and then if you want to take him to Pittsburgh, he can play in the Steel Curtain. So. I uh, appreciate it. I love getting his insight with, with um, going to the combine and whatnot. And hopefully we can bring him on again and do a sort of follow-up. And uh, Max, you've become like a longtime contributor at this point. So, I mean, come on whenever and we can have these discussions. Yeah, Thursday night, Thursday night's my free night. So it's perfect. I enjoy spending the time and talking with you guys. Yeah, we appreciate it too. So, uh for Lewis, uh, Duke dropped out at some point, and Dolphin Fan for Life Chris was able to drop by. Uh, thanks to everyone for uh, helping us uh, make this show possible, and we'll be back next Thursday. We'll do our uh, – it'll be our combine wrap-up, actually, as we get ready um, for free agency, uh, which will be here before you know it. So uh, for everyone here, I want to say good night, and thank you very much. Have a great night. Good night. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Kerryu, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Karis Fisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.
Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.